My name is Addie Bracey and my body feels like it's an old crazy runner. Welcome to another episode of Old Crazy Runners. This is Fundy, the craziest of the crazy runners. I got my cousin Nicholas, the ever oldest of the crazy runners. And joining us today is Addie Bracey, three-time national championship and a second place at Leadville. Man, she is crazy. She makes me really understand that I'm an old in the crazy runners. Oh, man. So, but before we get to that, be sure to rate review and subscribe to the podcast and always tell an old crazy friend because we know you guys out there listening we know you have some old crazy friends there are lots of old crazy friends out there and make sure you tell them how to get here and to listen to the podcast and go on to Strava and join the old crazy runners Strava run club that is where we all hang out and make sure that we each and every one of us are getting out there and putting in the miles and just one example of the crazies out there is Steve Salinda, who is turning 65. So he's going to run 65 miles over the weekend, uh, a mile for each year. You know, I saw that post. I think that's a much better way to, uh, you know, incorporate your getting olderness. I'm not going to run 65 miles in a weekend, but kudos to Steve for thinking that. And going out well, there I mean, and getting think it done. about that. That's still 20 miles a day over three days. That's what I'm saying. I'm not going to do it. I mean, that's damn near a marathon no. a day for three days. Not happening. It's barely enough time to drink beer. <laughs> I wouldn't be ready for the third one. <laughs> How are you going to fit your beer drinking if you're Couldn't running happen. that much? Couldn't happen. <laughs> Kudos to him. Uh, first of all, happy birthday, early birthday, and way to get out there and show all of us how to get it done. Man, speaking of getting it done, I, uh, I'm not going to lie. You know, we grew up together. We're a little competitive. I've yeah. noticed that uh, since, since I beat your full marathon, you've kind of upped your dedication on the runnings. And then now you're yeah. running, I'm checking, you're running these nine-minute miles with 132 heartbeats per minute going on. And I'm not going to lie. I, mean, I got to step up the game. Well, I will tell you. And as I've told everybody time and time again, I am a convert. I have drank the Kool-Aid. I am out there running to power, not running to pace. And it has completely changed the way I train, and it has shown in the results. And, okay, for the record, I want to go on the record that still I don't trust you. I'm going okay. I'm putting my trust okay. I want to go stride. on the record. I want to go on the record and validate that lack of trust. You are justified. <laughs> I've got decades of decades. experience. Yes. But trust me, <laughs> the stride is way safer than those jumps I had you go off of. Oh, man. So I did. I bit the bullet, got a stride. So I'm going to be running to power. Um, and the very first couple times, well, first I uh, started doing some uh, 400-meter uh, intervals, right? As per the uh, half marathon uh, Hal Higdon plan, I put but I put those in my stride plan, and then I ran my first uh, pace day or tempo run to the stride with power, and I wasn't keeping an eye on my pace. I wasn't watching my pace. I was just running to power, and uh, five miles eight sixteen pace. Would you have thought you were going to run an eight sixteen that day? I was feeling pretty you, good. I'm not going to lie to you. I was feeling pretty but, good that but day. But what, what were you thinking 
I got a low eights in me. No, I was thinking probably like eight thirty, something like that, right. eight thirty five. And if you'd gone if you'd gone out there from just a training perspective from a running to pace, you probably would have put that as a goal about an eight thirty. Probably. And yep. and you would have ran that. But when you run to all these additional metrics and you just stay in that power zone, it's all of a sudden you ran an eight fifteen and that's not that's that's considerably better than what you were anticipating. Yeah. And also when you're running to power zone, I feel like that I am in some sort of eighties Saturday morning cartoon. I got the power zone. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it is very reminiscent of that. Uh, Do you have the audio cues and the, the little, uh, no. So no, here, here's one thing. I, uh, the very first day I ran with the Apple watch and, uh, hated it. So I installed the stride on my Garmin, which I love. And so I just have the, uh, not even the sound, just the haptic buzz on my wrist when it's time to speed up or slow down. Do you know, do you take note of that? The haptics, I, I, I'm too lost to pay attention and feel. And how do you know if it's telling you to slow up or speed? You know, you, you just know that you're one or the other. Well, I'm, if I'm going fast, then I'm going to slow down. If I'm going slow, I'm going to speed up. <laughs> I mean, even even somebody from Medford can figure that out. Oh my God! I know I went to I know I went to uh, kindergarten in Eagle Point, Oregon, but I, even I learned how to count. Oh man, that is <laughs> that is a pull. No, that's a, that's an excellent point. And I my run this past uh, my long run, I got maybe one or two cues. The other thing is, it's really made me much more. Um, adept at understanding where my body is. And I know when I'm starting to get out of zone before it even happens. Oh man. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. You're going to love it. It's, get, get, it really is. It's great. And we'll sit down, we'll, we'll look at the, uh, you know, there's different metrics between the web interface and, and the uh, phone app interface. And you, you really have to kind of look at both to get the whole picture. But I'll tell you what, that phone app summary, on that front page where it says, well, we think you can run this fast. And then yeah. you're like, well, fuck you. I can run faster than that. Yeah. And you know, it's already a PR pace. I guarantee <laughs> we'll put all the races in and you'll start watching your anticipated finish time for the Portland half marathon. And you'll yeah. see that number start ticking down. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you want to talk about motivation when you get out there and run. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to start doing that. Um, I'm also, man, I got to, and you do some more testing. So, you know, the adrenalines are a stability shoe, so I need that stability. But, man, I really want to uh, throw on some of those carbon fibers and see, see what can be done. Maybe even just a 5K or 10K. What, the, night, the knee case? I don't, something like that. Or the Hoka's got, they got their, their version 3. And okay. we all know that Hoka's are old people approved. They are. <laughs> so maybe are. those, I don't know. I think they are AARP sponsored. <laughs> Ooh, maybe I should get my card. Get a discount. I get that shit in the mail already. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. I've been getting that stuff. All, they're t- they, they got all sorts of stuff. I'm getting the, yeah. the emails, stuff in the, stuff in the mails. It's no, insane. I don't want it. I don't want it. Well, I'm um, not sure I'm going to break down and get the Hoka's. I'm going to have a hard time ever running in anything besides the adrenalines. I love them that much. You might bury me in my adrenalines. Listen up, all you old people. Uh, one of the things 
that I think hurt my full marathon performance is that when I started ramping up to those 17, 18, 19 mile weekend runs, I was so tired the next day that I started skipping my weights, my weight training. And so I didn't for a whole month, month and a half, I wasn't doing the weights. Uh, But I've been doing a bunch of stuff, but, but my favorite exercise for running is the one legged squat with one leg behind you up on a chair or something. And that, that man, I feel that moving. That's the, uh, the, the Bulgarian uh, left-handed squats, squat sit, isn't it? Something like that. What's it? What do they call that thing? I don't know what it is. Let's just, let's say it's Bulgarian. That sounds tough. I'm in. Well, it's same with the Bulgarians. You got the Bulgarian, uh, uh, utter bag, the cow utter bag with the, (laughs) okay. You can laugh all you want. But no, if everybody out there one. wants a motherfucker workout, go on Amazon and buy a Bulgarian bag. That thing, 10 minutes, you're done. You're out. If you don't know how to search for a Bulgarian uh, utter bag, and I'm, I'm <laughs> saying utter because I don't know what else to call it. Anyway, the guy, the, the, the inventor is Ivan Ivanov. If you need what a more reason do to you buy want? anything from anybody, <laughs> buy it from Ivan Ivanov. He's clearly if there ever was a man that could kill you in 3.2 <laughs> seconds, it is Ivan Ivanov. It didn't take me long. I was over checking it out, and I totally can see the value of uh, all the workouts with that. And, and really, as a runner, and going back to our training, you know, one of the things that they focused on was you know, staying somewhat within the, the, the type of training that you're going to be doing. So if you're doing long-distance running, you don't want to be doing a bunch of bulk-up sort of work. But without question, certainly as we get older, having a strong body top to bottom, that is so important if you really want to go out there and continue to improve and set some uh, different metrics. And uh, that bag is impressive as far as all the things you can do and the way that it makes you move um, and just the dexterity among other things. I mean, the way you have to hold on to it, it's going to make your hands stronger. Uh, Everything about it, I love it. I'm I'm probably going to end up getting one myself. It's not going to keep me from going to the gym, mind you. That's a whole different thing, but whole different uh, thing. yeah, it's, it's worth it. And I continue to see the value, especially in my physical therapy with the improvement of my knee, all of that has been about getting stronger. I've got just a few phrases to tell you what a badass our guest is, Addie Bracey. Uh, first of all, second at Le- at Leadville. I don't know if y'all seen the Leadville course. It's not easy. Taking second place in any race that is a hundred miles long. I don't care if it's flat, downhill the entire way. That is an amazing effort. And that's just one of the things that she's gotten done. Yeah, I I do think she slacked off just a little bit in college because she was in college for four years and she was only national champion three years. Yeah, what the hell? (laughs) Only three. Only only three of the four. She had to to work her way up to it. And not only that, but she decided to run from the rim of the Grand Canyon down to the river and then back up the other side and just for fun, back to where she started. The rim to rim to rim, that is a classic challenge, an amazing effort, went out there and crushed it. You want some stats on that? Sure. 41.2 miles, 20,000 feet of vert. I don't, if you, you've been to the Grand Canyon. Have you, have you been to the Grand Canyon? No, blown over it. Yeah, 20,000 oh, feet of vert. I have been there, and there are literally signs at the spot where she started running that says, if you think you're going Don't. to make it to the river today, you will die. I mean, it's that, 
explicit. <laughs> and she's like, I'm not just going to make it to the river. I'm going to go up to the other side, and then I'm going to come back. Yeah, I'm going to go down the river, get some water, have a couple drinks, go up the other side, hang out, probably did some shots of tequila up at the top of the other side, and come back down. It is an amazing story. She will definitely motivate you to get out there and continue to put in the miles. It's a great conversation. You're going to love it. Let's get to it. Addie Bracey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So uh, we would like to start off. So Nicholas and I were going through uh, basically the giant laundry list of your accolades, and we have decided on a uh, scale of one to 10 in badassery. Uh, you're at 11. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was an exhaustive list that we struggled to even pick a couple of things from. So we're looking forward to randomly throwing those out over the next course or the course of this conversation, because certainly a lot of things to uh, to talk about. Yeah. And uh, possibly we'll also feel bad about ourselves a little bit during that time. So feel free to, you know, give us a lift up to that. Uh, let us know that <laughs> <laughs> you too could aspire. You too could aspire to not really do anything that you've done. But, you know, we could try. <laughs> That's right. But before we get into uh, that side of you as a runner, we like to kind of see a little bit more of the personal side, things like uh, peril choice and shoes. Yeah. So we, you know, as all runners do, we love to talk about all of our gear. Do you have a, a shoe of choice? Uh, well, I'm, an, I'm a Nike sponsored athlete. So, um, but uh, that was that. Yeah, it explains a lot. But I, you know, I sought them out because I, I do genuinely think that they make the best shoes. Um, I was ran in college at a Nike sponsored school. And for the years that I wasn't sponsored, always chose their shoes and they're kind of newer in the, the trail game where I compete now, but I, I still think, yeah, that even their trail shoes are, are the best out there. So that's my preference, whether I was sponsored by them or not. Next time you are out at uh, Nike headquarters, I live a half a mile from uh, Nike and that is my running course every single oh, day. No that's, <laughs> so next time you're out there, yeah. uh, I will do one lap around the trail and you can do seven. Okay. In the same, amount, the of same time. amount of time. Uh, also, a little bit of throwback props. You, we had a chance to, to talk with uh, Steve Moday, and he literally bought shoes out of the back of a van when Nike was just getting started, and they weren't even called Nikes. Wow. That's so, uh, yeah, it's fun being in Oregon. Follow. So what is your uh, favorite uh, trail running uh, shoe with Nike? Um, I'm a huge fan of the Nike Tigers. That's pretty much exclusively what I wear, whether I'm racing longer or shorter. Um, it might, they're, they're just very, I, I, the way I say it is everything you need and nothing that you don't. And I think that comes maybe from my track and road background of just yeah. kind of liking to be pretty minimalist and have a good like foot feel and yeah, they make great shoes. And I think when you're running in those over a hundred miles, you don't want anything extra. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So have you had a chance to uh, try out the, uh, what's the vapor fly next percent or any of those on a 5k or anything like that yeah you know they send they send me kind of all the shoes which i appreciate um so i'll wear those sometimes uh, if i'm doing a workout or something so i can feel at least some percentage as fast as i used to be in a formal yeah. running, <laughs> running life. um i haven't tried like the alpha fly is kind of the most um like the newer version that's supposed to be just epic i haven't tried those yet but yeah, um, yeah the other ones are awesome how did those feel when you're running so i've heard people say that it feels like you're kind of running downhill a little bit yeah, you know, the mechanics takes a little bit of time to get used to, um, but I've found a lot of reasons to incorporate them in my training. Honestly, one being uh, I run pretty high mileage being an ultra runner. So sometimes if I'm just feeling like super pooped and don't want to get out for a second run, it's kind of nice to 
not even run faster, like slip those shoes on and run faster, but just to not feel quite as tired or beat up. Wait, could you explain the second run thing to us? Oh, uh, <laughs> you yes. throw that out so casually. <laughs> Doubling is a, a thing that some of us do sometimes. So we might do a, a run in the morning and then a run in the afternoon or evening. Yeah, we do that once a year and it's called Hood to Coast. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so uh, next up is uh, wearable tech. What what do you use as far as watch or any pods or heart rate uh, monitors or anything like that? Or uh, a lot of our guests are like, nah, I just don't run with anything. I just go. Yeah, I would say I'm on the tech front. I'm pretty minimalist, um, but I do wear uh, a GPS watch. Um, honestly, mostly these days to track just mileage and vertical gain more than pace. Um, I use a Coros, uh, and the reason I chose that was with my event, you know, sometimes I could be out there for over 20 hours and uh, it just has like an outstanding um, like battery life. I think I ran a hundred mile race with it and then still had like 35% battery left or something. Wow. Crazy, so. I didn't think about that. So I have yeah. a, a Garmin 245. It wouldn't make it. We don't have to I think about that. that. <laughs> yeah, I learned the hard way. My first race, mine died and I had no idea, you know, how far, yeah. how far I had left the last, I think 15 or 20 miles. So that's not fun. Wow. So is that uh Coros with a Q? Uh, it's C O R O S. Okay. Um, it's, it's picking up. They're kind of a newer company, yeah. um, but p- particularly within ultras, I think they're pretty popular. Yeah. Cool. We'll put that in the show notes so people can check it out. It's a, it's a fun way to look at what to aspire to. I've become such a runner. I had to buy a Coros. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right now, my Apple watch. Now I'm really feeling like this is third place. <laughs> I'm lucky to get through a day. Yeah, the battery doesn't last too long on those. No. Uh, and then, uh, so one thing that we've been dealing with here in Oregon, actually, we've had a pretty mild year, uh, yeah. rain wise, but, uh, rain jackets. I just got a John G with 360 degree ventilation, uh, which is doing well, but do you have any, uh, jacket recommendations or you don't have to deal with a ton of rain out there in Denver, do you? Uh, hardly any. Um, I mean, obviously we get the snow, um, but I, I can't even honestly think of a time I have to rely too much on anything waterproof like that, to be honest. So I've, I'm pretty fortunate um, with where I live. You know, the snow's, it, it's snowing right now, but it'll probably be done in an hour or two and I'll be fine. Now, how do you uh, deal with the cold? Because Denver certainly gets um, a yeah. lot colder than we're <laughs> used to. What, what, what's your way of uh, staying warm when you're out there? Yeah, it's, it is deceiving though. You know, where I'm at, I, I remember when I first moved here from North Carolina, I was kind of horrified of the winters. Um, and I looked it up and I think our average winter temperature is in the forties. Like it's, it's not as cold as you think. And it's almost always sunny, like almost, yeah. I think over 300 days a year. So it's honestly not that cold. Um, I do have a treadmill in my garage for random days like today. Well, I'll, I'll probably go inside more for not risking a fall or something than, than actually be, being cold. Um, but not that I want to let the secret out of the bag that the weather here is pretty pristine. <laughs> yeah, the weather's uh, horrible, it, everybody. Don't move to Denver. Don't, don't, don't move there. Scared. Really bad. Um, but no, the winters really aren't that bad where we are in the front range. We just kind of miss a lot of the snow. That's awesome. Well, uh, I think we would love to dive into some of the accolades that you've uh, accomplished over the, the time you've been running. Probably won't get to all of them. We'll put a little link in the show notes so people can uh, look at some of the crazy stuff. So. Um, let's start with, uh, some of your, uh, college ac- accolades and, and where you, uh, went to school in North Carolina, you're the captain, um, national championships, all sorts of stuff. Can you give us a little bit of a rundown of some of that early career? 
Yeah, yeah. I had kind of an interesting uh, college career. I, I grew up in North Carolina. My parents, uh, uncles, everybody I, in my family went to Carolina. So I, I grew up always wanting to be a Tar Heel um, and it, it thought I would play soccer there and have a very vivid memory of my dad, who I, I super appreciate him doing this. I'm sure it wasn't easy for him, but kind of sitting me down, I think when I was maybe like a freshman in high school and kind of saying, you know, Ad, I know you love soccer, but you're not that good at it. Like you're, <laughs> you're probably not going to play in college. And if that's okay with you and you know, you want to keep playing, like that's totally, that's fine. And I support you, but you probably could run in college if you wanted to. And so I think I finished out that season and, and hung up my cleats and focused on running and uh, made it my goal to kind of run there. So uh, I was a walk-on um, my first year and was definitely like the slowest on the team. Uh, Shalane Flanagan had just graduated. Uh, she was still there training. Uh, a few other people on my team made the next Olympic team. So it was very much in over my head, um, but just, you know, worked really hard and had a really incredible coach. who was patient with me and basically kind of just improved almost every time I raced um, to, to where by the end, uh, my true senior year and my fifth year was, uh, yeah, making nationals uh, individually, um, set a school record and uh, yeah, I was able to do pretty well and, and get voted on as the team captain. And it ended up being a really awesome experience and kind of working hard and just consistent, slow improvement. Uh, that is amazing. I love hearing that walk on to uh, top level uh, results at the, at the end of that career. I, I want to come back to that moment of transition and kind of get an idea of where you were. I mean, was that middle school, high school and in, how had you, how did you identify your capacity as a runner in high school to know that a place like North Carolina is, is somewhere you could walk on? Yeah, I, you know, I did decent in high school. I wasn't, uh, you know, like winning any national championships, but was pretty good at the state level. Um, I think I ran like a 513 mile in high school and that was in like very early 2000s. So at the time was like respectable, you know, it wasn't anything like super standout. Um, I got lucky being a local kid uh, Our the college coach at Carolina was really good about recru recruiting locals. And he came out and watched me race. And uh, it wasn't so much about my times as much as he liked kind of my attitude and could tell mm -hmm. that I was a hard worker, I think just from watching a couple of races. And um, I think I got lucky. I think he saw something more in my personality and saw some potential uh, in, in just the way that I trained and kind of my mindset towards racing and, and gave me a chance. So I honestly owe a lot of it to him. And what, at college, you talk about that uh, vast improvement of being, you know, one of the slower people to one of the captains. What, what are, you know, two or three of the things that the coach specifically worked on with you to help you uh, gain that speed? Uh, gosh, honestly, just consistency. You know, I think it just, I, I, my dad was my coach in high school and he only was my coach because he felt like the coaches at the school weren't doing a great job. <laughs> um, so I don't think I really had access to really um, calculated training in high school. And so, and, and a lot of my teammates, you know, came from really uh, legitimate programs throughout the country. And so I think he saw that and it wasn't so much that he's, uh, I don't know, like prioritize anything specific with me as much as it was um, just having some more focused, uh, like a more focused approach to training. And then I think the second thing being you know, even though I wasn't a standout nationally, I, I won most races that I ran in high school just because of the people I was competing against. And so I think I was, you know, by far the best on my team. Um, so being at a school where I was the slowest, literally just trying to <laughs> hang on every day and like not get yeah. dropped on a recovery run just made me better just training with people that were a lot better than me. That's awesome. So uh, I love the stories of, of hard work getting people 
through, uh, partly because as we get older, that's kind of our only thing that we have as our youth and speed leave us, the hard work can uh, get us up and going more. And uh, that, yeah. So when we interviewed Judge Mitchell for Skid Row Marathon, one of the people that he helped uh, move from homelessness to job, his main quote was, you know, if you keep showing up every day, things get better. Mm, and that, yeah. cons- and you talk yeah. about consistency and how important that is, and how important that it is that now as an ultra runner, because um, I know it's all about uh, putting in those miles and those high mileage weeks. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That that honestly, in fact, reminds me of something my dad used to tell me. Uh, I used to, you know, even if I was improving in a race, like like many of us would finish and be like, oh, but I I wish I would have done a little bit better, even if it was a PR or best effort or if it was my best, but I didn't place as high as I wanted. I remember him telling me something like, if you improve every time you race, eventually you're going to have a world record. Um, (laughs) Put that in perspective of, you know, you're improving. A lot of people aren't like you. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If you keep putting in the work and getting a little bit better, like you're going to get where you want to go. It just might take longer than you want it to. Now, following college, you continue to do um, a number of road races. You've, you know, competed. How many marathons uh, did you compete in between? Cause you don't run that length in college. Is that correct? No, no, no. I ran, um, the steeplechase and 5k in college. Um, and then post-college, yeah, I, I focused on the 10k up to the marathon. So I ran the Olympic trials and the 10k and the marathon, uh, actually road marathons. I haven't done many. Um, if you're taking trail marathons out, which I consider them com- two completely different yeah. things. Um, <laughs> I think I only did three, I guess four, if you count the Olympic trials. So four road marathons, uh, within the 10 years of finishing college. And uh, most of us listening to this podcast will never have gone to an Olympic trial. Can you kind of talk about not so much the actual running of the the Olympic trials, but just kind of that atmosphere and what it was like to be there uh, surrounded by, you know, the best people in the nation? Yeah, you know, I was really fortunate to to kind of qualify for both the track and the marathon, and, and both are really amazing in their own way. Um, I think the track trials stick out to me as probably one of the more meaningful experiences of my life. Um, I think we were talking about it before we started, but I qualified in, in a, a race in Portland that was like the last chance to qualify. So I think I made it like less than two weeks before the trial. So it was pretty unexpected. I had a big PR, I think I paired by 30 some seconds in the race, which at that point was like a lot, um, you know, to already be running pretty fast and drop 30 seconds. Um, so the trials were at uh, Hayward Field uh, at the University of Oregon in Eugene, um, the former Hayward Field that is, has been torn down now and replaced at the new stadium. So um, just to be somewhere so historic and to run, yeah, against some of the best women in the, the country and to, you know, from the back of the race, watch three people make an Olympic <laughs> team. Uh, I, I remember actually I was about to get lapped by the three uh, women wow. that made the team. And I was like sprinted the fastest hundred meters of my life to not get lapped by them. But then was like watching the Jumbotron, like to see who made the team. Um, and then to stay, you know, I think the 10K was maybe day two and it's a two week event. So to stay and, and then get to be a fan of the sport and watch uh, a good friend of mine made the Olympic team in the 5K and uh, just to be there and watch, um, just how amazing uh, the United States is at track and field in general was just yeah. Yeah, probably one of the coolest experiences I've had. So I just want to go back a little bit. You are fast. And when I think about how fast you are and think about somebody lapping you, how fast <laughs> were these people moving? And <laughs> yeah, um, gosh, well, I got lapped by like Shalane Flanagan and 
Amy Hastings, I think, or uh, Amy Craig now. So, I mean, they're like some of the best in the world, you know, medalists in those events. So uh, it's, it's demoralizing to get left, but you're right when you think about like, while well, they're running, you know, these women can run like 31 minute 5Ks. So it's, it doesn't take a lot to get lapped in a 400 meter track. Um, and I didn't have the best race, to be honest. I had run a few 10Ks in the weeks prior to try and qualify. So I think by the time I got there, I was, my body was pretty much done. Yeah, just to uh, put it out there, our idea of being lapped is having our time halved, not yeah. <laughs> around the track, but yep. literally half the time it takes us. As you moved from the 10K to long distance running and ultras, and just to throw in another, another little nugget out there for all of our listeners, you were named uh, uh, Women uh, Mountain Runner of the Year for three years in a row. <laughs> Yeah, what crazy. was that transition like moving from shorter distances to the ultra marathons uh, on the trail? Yeah, so uh, so mountain running at that time, it's it still it's considered it's a shorter distance event. So um, I, I won three years in a row because I was uh, I think I won the U.S. championships twice and then I was second the third year, maybe. Um, so it's it's not that long. It's uh, between a ten and a twelve k, but okay. It's oh, okay. up a mountain. So it's <laughs> yeah. usually like you know you're usually gaining two to three thousand feet of elevation in, in that period. Um, so it's definitely a lot different from it. It is a lot different from the ten k, but it's not at the same time. I think it's just uh, it's it's a different perspective, but it's still you know a similar feeling and your body shutting down when you don't want it to. Um, so I think there's a lot of transferable skills, but there's a lot of things you have to learn too. And I guess to answer your question about longer stuff, it, it, the longer you go, in my opinion, the less it becomes about running, which everybody rolls their eyes when I say that, but that's, you know, my opinion, having run clearly every distance there is at a high level, it, it's not that much about running as you get longer. Of course, the running is important and the fitness needs to be there, but all the other little things become really, really big things. Um, and that's, and what are those things? What's that? And what are those things if it's not about running? Uh, yeah. So the, there's more uncontrollables, you know, anytime you're out on a mountain too, there's, you know, I re remember trying to run a 10 K standard and you're, you're going to like Stanford university or Portland or places where the weather's perfect and the conditions are perfect and the competition's perfect. And on the trails like that literally does not exist. It could be the worst weather ever. It could be lightning. It could be snow. It could be literally anything. There's, there's just a lot more uncontrollables. And then the longer you're going, you know, fueling comes into play, um, sleep, uh, fatigue, mental fatigue, blisters, your feet hurt, um, getting calories in. Like there's just so many other factors that are really, really big factors. So I've heard about people reaching this point uh, at ultras where they physically can't eat because the body's rejecting food because mm -hmm. your stomach is shutting down to give energy to your brain or something. W what is that all about? Yeah, that's actually been my uh, biggest, I've only done 200s, but both times almost to the mile, I think around mile 75. Yeah, my stomach just refused to, to take anything in. Um, and when you have 25 miles left to go, that's, that's a long time to not be able to get calories in. Um, so I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of uh, your body being in this really intense, extreme, but unfamiliar situation. And you're, you're, it's, you're in a physically demanding situation where you're right. There's like, well, I need to keep your heart beating and I need to keep your legs moving because you're asking me to move your legs, but then you're also going to ask me to like down this bowl of potatoes. Like that's not going to happen. <laughs> um, so I think it takes training and takes time and experience. And 
the hard part about the sport, but also the addicting part of the sport is really the only time to practice those things is in a race. I've, I've never just gone out and run 75 miles for fun right. on a weekend. So, um, it, it's a learning curve and I think, uh, kind of trial and error and, and figuring out what works. And then also putting your body in that situation enough times to where it realizes like, this is okay. We're not going to die out here. Like we're fine. Let's just calm down a little bit. So you, when you transitioned from a background in uh, track and road running to trail, which you do trail pretty much exclusively right now, is that, is that a fair way to look yes. at it? Mm-hmm, correct. Uh, tell me about what that moment was when you ran that trail race where you were like, oh man, okay, this is really where I want to be. Yeah, it was, um, and it was in 2016. Um, I had just gone back to that same track meet that we were talking about in Portland and was four years later, I was trying to qualify in the 10 K again, uh, in the uh, 2016. Um, I didn't even come close. I think I was like a minute off the time I needed to run, which was pretty demoralizing. Um, and I actually, I wish I could remember the name of it because their pancakes were so good, but I was at this cafe in Portland by myself sitting the morning after the race. And I was like, I think I'm done. Like, I think I'm done racing. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, and then three weeks later got convinced by a friend to, to go, go do the U S mountain championships, which I had, I didn't, I didn't even know what that was. I didn't know it existed. Um, I had run trails here in Boulder kind of, but not really. Um, and I won the race, but more importantly, just like had so much fun. And, uh, I really fell in love with, it's a lot less objective of a sport. It's not as focused on time and results. It like time literally means nothing. It could vary so much from day to day and race to race. So there's just a more emphasis on competing and effort. And I like that it was refreshing. Um, and then I guess the second thing is I, I guess I never knew how much I love the mountains. Like even if I wasn't racing and competing, I think I would still be out there every day on the trails. It's just so breathtaking um, to, to, you know, to think about training now as me pulling out a map and planning some really cool route through the mountains. Um, it's just, it's opened my life more and I'm having more life experiences where as before I felt in some ways, like I was kind of restricting, you know, was focused so much on training for the track and the roads that I was omitting like kind of a lot of other things from my life. That's awesome. Side note, uh, if the race was at Lewis and Clark, I probably know where you got pancakes. If it was just across the river, we can find that for you. Okay. <laughs> we'll track that down. Good and huge. Yeah. Um, so what I'd love to hear, uh, what is your favorite, uh, trail race, whether it's an ultra or, or not, what's your favorite one to do every year? Oh gosh. I don't repeat races that often to be, to be honest. Um, or your favorite one you've done so far. My favorite one I've done so far. I mean, Western States hundred, uh, out in California is, is just a pretty epic race. It's, uh, the oldest hundred in the world. It's basically where they consider hundred mile racing to, to have been born. You know, it was just this guy used to be a horse race uh, yeah. and this guy showed up and was like, I don't have a horse, but I'm going to do it on foot. Um, <laughs> that, was like in, that was in the seventies, I think. And, uh, you know, it's, it's considered one of the most prestigious competitive hundreds in the world. So just the history behind it and to be out on the same trails where someone first thought up like, Hey, what if we just ran from here to here through the mountains? Um, it, it's pretty cool to be a part of. And then follow up for, if somebody has never done an ultra, what would be a good one to try first? Yeah, that's a hard one too. It, ultras are interesting in that you you can't always just sign up for them. A lot of times you have to enter a lottery and, and you know, have qualifying times in, in shorter distances. Um, I, I guess I would say any of them, to be honest. I've never <laughs> been to an ultra where I didn't have fun. Like the community is amazing. Um, 
even here locally, I mean, wherever you are, there's probably some kind of local uh, race organization. And even here in Colorado, there's one called NAR Runners and they put on, I think maybe four or five races a year. And they're not, you know, nationally competitive. People don't necessarily come here to run them, but I run almost every single one of their events, you know, throughout the year, just because the local community is amazing and the people are amazing. And it's a really awesome way to meet kind of people in your backyard who, who want to do the same thing. So regardless of where anybody is in the country, there's, there's probably some kind of race series happening and that's probably a good place to start. Now you had made an interesting comment. I want to kind of come back to about the difference in timing between a, a track race and a trail race. And I had never really thought about it in that regard. Um, and you know, on a track race, it's, you know, somebody's going to run in within a certain range. And if you want to beat them, then you know that range that you're going to have to work with. And I'd never really thought about the ambiguities of being on the trail and how the idea of going into that and thinking, I'm also going to win this. And these are the metrics that I still have to hit in order to know I'm going to be in a position to win. So I'm kind of curious, aside from timing, how do you approach one of these races with the mentality um, and of, I'm going to go out there and still win it? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it took me some time to learn that because as, as kind of freeing and, and more open, I guess, subjective that is, it's also, it, it makes it hard to judge if you're on the right track. You right. know, if I know I need to run a sub 33 minute 10 K, then I know what I need, where I need to be, um, you know, every lap, even if I wanted to, to track it that, that frequently, but on the trails, you know, because it's less objective, you have to be a lot more intuitive with yourself and know the right effort because there's not as many metrics to be tracking if you're where you should be, because you might not even have defined that within kind of actual parameters. Um, so I think for, for me, my focus is always that like focusing on how I feel and, and knowing, uh, you know, for example, you kind of touched on it. If I'm, if I was entering a 5k or a 10k, you know, the day or two before the race, I'm looking at the start list. Okay. Like right. who's in this race? What have they run? okay, well, what do I know about them? Like, are they someone that's going to take it out fast? Like, what do I think the first mile is going to be, you know, kind of figuring those things out when I'm going to a, an ultra race or any trail race, I'm pulling out the elevation chart. I'm pulling out the course map. I'm trying to figure out what the terrain is. Um, so the competition is not the person next to me. It's the trail or the mountain or the distance. Um, so I'm thinking about those things and I'm hoping you know, with the right planning that I can kind of cover that or tackle that better than the girls next to me or the women next to me but I'm not thinking that much about them. Um, and then just, yeah, knowing what my strengths are, I'm a good climber, not a very good downhill runner. So I might have some kind of strategy in place of, okay, there's, you know, a five mile hill here. I'm, I, need, I really need to like make a move right there and take advantage of it before the four mile downhill that follows or, or whatever it is. So it's just a little bit of a different perspective on who the competitor is. Yeah. And similarly, I could see where, you know, in a um, more defined race, you can adjust how you're going about your race based on what you see the other competitors doing. You know, someone come out of the blocks a little faster. You know, it's, it's, there's those micro points that you can adjust to. And in this moment, that is just gone. You can just enjoy the person you might come across, which could be pretty rare, I guess, in some of these races as well. Yeah, there's definitely more of a sense of camaraderie. I don't even want to say camaraderie because there is that in track as well, but at least in the moment in the race. Right. Yeah, you can feel like you're joining forces with someone. Of course, you still want to beat them, but it's not the same tension and kind of, yeah, maybe keying what you're doing off of the person next to you. It's, it's not, it's, it's, it feels different. It feels more, um, 
supportive or like you're kind of taking this challenge on together. I'd love to come back uh, or maybe the be better word is to focus a little bit more on this community aspect, because that's one thing that we love about running is that it doesn't really matter how fast you are, or slow you are, young or old. Everybody pretty much treats everybody as equals out there on the course. And uh, I had a chance to watch a YouTube documentary, and I think it was something called Golden Hour. And uh, mm. I'd love to know uh, if this happens at every ultra race, but there was one of the ultra races, it might have been the Western 100, um, where the last hour, all of everybody, including the top finishers, waits and cheers on the people that are trying to make it across the cutoff time. Yeah, yeah, that's that that film is I think I cried watching that. Yeah. I didn't even know anybody in it. I did too. Um, yeah. So that's uh that is at Western States, but yeah, that golden hour kind of concept is is pretty much at every hundred. So for most hundreds, it, it can vary depending on the difficulty. If it's a super difficult race, it might be more, but for the most part, the cutoff, the final cutoff is 30 hours. So to be considered an official finisher, you have to finish the hundred miles in under 30 hours. Um, so yeah, usually, um, so I'm finishing, you know, maybe later the night before, or like early that morning, but both hundreds I've done, I've, you know, slept only a couple hours and gotten back up and came to the finish line to watch the, the people that are just missing the cutoff. Um, gosh, I could remember, I wish I could remember her name, but there's a, an amazing video. I think the woman was like in her seventies or something at, at Western States as well. Um, finished with maybe like 10 seconds to spare oh, um, wow. the video of her finishing the lap around the track, you know, not knowing if she was going to make it, which yeah. is probably one of the most inspiring, inspirational things I've ever seen. So, um, I agree with you. I think I always say, whenever I meet someone that's kind of like a more middle or back of the pack hundred mile racer they they always say things to me, like, you know, we're, I'm so inspired by you. You're so fast. And, and I, I'm like, what are you talking about? You ran for 10 hours. <laughs> Like you're way more badass than I am. That's I can't imagine running through the night. I've never had to do it. So I agree with you. It's all relative. And in some ways, those people are more impressive to me because I don't know that I can run for 30 hours. We we feel the same way. And I, I would also like to point out to Nicholas that this that might be the only chance we ever have to have people cheering us on at a finish line. <laughs> Uh, that is a good point, actually. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of thinking about that in a little bit of a reverse psychology, which is like, I might be out on the course thinking, all right, how do I, how do I make sure I finish in the last hour? I need to slow this down. <laughs> I, I need to so back it off a little bit. Or the, uh, the laughable idea that I would be backing it off to finish in that time frame. Um, so I, uh, I do want to um, make sure that we also talk about some of the more personal things that you've done within the running community. I mean, we talk about community as far as runners go, uh, but you're also very, very active in uh, something that's more important to you personally, I would imagine. So I want to kind of just open that up for you to step in and talk about some of the, the things that you've done uh, in your outside of the race itself. Gosh, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I wear a lot of hats, but the, the common thread is, um, is running, of course. Um, I'm assuming you're talking about uh, the organization that we started called Outrun. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's about a year, maybe a year and a half old. Um, so it's a an organization um, where we're really trying to promote more like involvement and then kind of active inclusion um, of the LGBTQ plus community within the running community. Um, so, so what that looks like, I guess, at the more tangible level, is we've um, wanted to create more of a community and support network, you know, throughout the country. So we have kind of little chapters that have opened up in different cities. Unfortunately, all this happened during COVID. And so we haven't actually, none, none of our um, 
like chapter leaders have been able to actually host any group runs yet. We haven't felt comfortable doing that, but as soon as it's safe to do so, you know, the framework's in place. Um, so we're in places like Minneapolis, San Francisco, um, Boston, DC, just kind of all over. Um, and with these different chapter leaders, we jump on calls each month and kind of check in. Um, and, and their role really is just to kind of promote um, kind of inclusion in their community and create uh, a place where um, queer runners can go. Uh, and the more like advocacy side, we are currently working on um, helping create like a kind of a best practices guide or a resource for different events and race directors on how to make their race more inclusive, how to kind of actively uh, invite our community to come take part in their races. So we're super excited about it. I think it's a good, um, there's a lot of awareness in general with, you know, just kind of human rights and social justice things in our, in our, our community. And hopefully that's maybe one of the good things that have come out of this year is more awareness around those things. So we're really trying to kind of jump onto that momentum and make some meaningful change uh, going into 2021. And we have a lot of questions about the details of that. But before we get into that, uh, I know that Nicholas was super impressed with the name Outrun yes. and all of the, the sub uh, meanings within that. Who came up with that and how did it come about? Yeah, I actually did. I was very proud of that. Well, um, you should uh, be. <laughs> yeah. And the logo as well. I don't know if you noticed is a it's a it's a track. There's track lanes, but each each lane is a different color of the like rainbow flag. Um, I don't That's know. Really I actually cool. came up with that and like drew it out in the middle of class one day in grad school. So either I just wasn't listening to what the teacher was talking <laughs> about, or maybe they said something that sparked. I have no idea. Um, but yeah, it's it. I I'm glad that comes across. You know, with the kind of double meanings of um, what we mean by that and what kind of the name suggests. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. You should be really proud of yourself coming <laughs> up with that. Um, uh, it's uh, all of those great ideas that we have uh, very rarely come about when we're sitting down trying to come up with a good idea. It's usually no, like, yeah. oh, I was in a class or I was getting out of the shower <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on a run. So uh, what are some of the ways that uh, you're working with uh, race directors to make them more inclusive? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've been very um, diligent and, and kind of intentional behind that process. Um, so what we're actually doing first, which we're literally doing right now as we speak, is creating a survey um, that I'm hoping will be massly spread um, to the community to where uh, members of the LGBTQ plus community can take the survey and kind of say, you know, like, we're going to ask questions, you know, like, do you feel welcomed and do you feel invited to take part in races? And if not, why? What would you like to see? Um, what kind of changes would you like to see? Because we've we recognize that if we're going to kind of approach different race directors and organizations to speak on behalf of such a large population that we want to do it accurately. Um, so that's what we're creating now. I'm hoping that we'll have that survey finished in the next month or so and we'll get it out there. And then based on that feedback, we'll have kind of some actionable steps for race directors. But what, what I can say that it will probably look like is things like, um, you know, marketing and branding, just looking at, I, I know I remember during, um, whatever month it was this summer, maybe June, July, um, there was something that came out and showed, you know, all the covers from Runner's World for the last however many years. And it was, you know, mostly white people. And I highly doubt that that was intentional, but to have that awareness and, and to be forced to look at yourself and be like, oh, wow, like we really need to change how we're doing this. We really need to change how we're marketing and, and branding. Um, so kind of asking races to do the same thing. 
Um, also having, you know, things like transgender policies or having registration processes that are a little more inclusive instead of just having the selection of male, female. So things that are actually pretty simple changes. Um, but my thought is that people within the running community, which I think so highly of, I think it's amazing place. Everybody that I've ever met in it, whether it's a race director or somebody with a company or a runner is they're all amazing people. And so I think there's probably just lack of knowledge or awareness. And so if we can provide that knowledge and awareness, I think that races will choose to kind of, you know, take it and, and do something and make changes that will uh, productively influence, you know, our community, one that's felt a little bit sometimes maybe misrepresented or uh, unwelcome in some of these spaces. And, you know, recognizing obviously the the past several months have made it challenging for these examples to come out, but have you seen where races have uh, embraced some of the uh, suggestions that you've made? And, and is there any sort of way to look at how that has uh, potentially been of benefit for everybody? Yeah, I think we've had a, a number of race directors already reach out to us. Um, I am starting to see, you know, when I've registered for races myself recently, I've started to see more um, awareness over what gender options they're providing. Um, I keep going back to Western states because I think so highly of that race, but that's, you know, a very nationally competitive race that has a very um, appropriate transgender policy written, you know, right in there on their website. So I think that's a good model to look at. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's definitely a willingness to jump on board with this. Um, like I said, we just want to make sure we're taking the time and being diligent about the work so that we're accurately representing um, what, you know, what our community wants. And just to kind of echo your thoughts on the running community in general, I believe it was our interview with Catherine Switzer where she mentioned and we kind of really focused on is the running community with a lot of social justice issues really seems to be at the forefront of things. Totally, totally. And, you know, I think throughout the last few months, uh, particularly with my involvement with uh, Runners Alliance, um, you know, there's there's things that come out and you'll see comments, whether it's on Facebook or Twitter. and. 99% of them are positive, maybe even, maybe even 90% if we're being honest. Some of them are not that positive. You know, some people are like, why is this an issue? Like, I don't see this as being a problem. And I don't think that it's malicious, but what I've been trying to say is I agree with you. I think the running community is a wonderful place. It's, but what I've been trying to stress to people is just because you're not discriminating against a certain population, whether it's a racial minority, whether it's, um, you know, our community, um, doesn't mean that you're being actively inclusive. And I think that's where the difference is because I would agree, I don't think it's an inherently discriminatory place. It's not, I've never felt that, but that doesn't mean that, you know, what's the negative in being a little bit more actively inclusive and kind of inviting um, maybe misrepresented or underrepresented populations to be a part of a really amazing space, the one that's changed my life. Um, so that's kind of what I've been trying to press instead of suggesting that it's negative or suggesting that people are hateful, that not suggesting that at all. That's not the case, but you know, it could be a little bit better than it is. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, as an activity, one of the things that uh, I really like about running is the parody that is just inherent within what's out there. I mean, we're seeing, you know, on the ultras gender aside, uh, you know, it is a real healthy mix of our population out running these races. It's not r just heavily weighted to, uh, you know, a male, female, or uh, b even beyond that. And even on the time side, we, you were mentioning 
Meb had a story where he had a terrible race and this guy who had no reason to think about crossing the line with him in that moment on that race, he did. And, and, and it just embracing how personal it is for all of us and recognizing how inclusive that makes it to just be a part of this. We're runners. For sure. Yeah. I think the way I think of it is uh, running in it, in and of itself is kind of inherently vulnerable. Um, and for that reason, I think that's why it's such an, an accepting and loving community. Um, and so if anything is probably the perfect space for, you know, people that might be struggling with feeling isolated or feeling not included. So I, you mentioned uh, the Western states transgender policy. Um, and I think it'd be really interesting just to hear what that is. Sure. Yeah. So that's, that's a topic that I'm very open about saying it's, it's not cut and dry. It's complicated. Um, one of the things that I've heard the complaints against allowing, you know, if we're, if we're being just upfront and honest, I yeah. think that the sticky point for most people is, um, athletes who are, um, you know, male to female, uh, transitions. And, and I get that, especially when people have brought up concerns about, you know, women's rights, you know, protecting women's fields. And I, and I do get it. Um, I don't think that there's, um, it's not, there's not like one way that just stands out as making the most sense. I understand the arguments, but the way that Western States has, has, uh, decided to approach it is you can register for the race, um, as the gender that you identify with. And there's going to be no questions asked unless you were to place, I think, and it's definitely in the top 10, because if you're in the top 10, you, you get a spot back the following year. I don't think it, applies to age groups. Um, and then, so in that instance, if someone does place in the top 10, um, they would have to then show proof of, you know, hormone therapy. So it, it kind of protects it in, in my mind, because if it's, you know, people, I don't think are that, um, up in arms about it, unless there's potential for awards or, um, cer certain accolades or certain things being taken away from, uh, athletes. So, it kind of covers both of those things. And if it's like, well, if there's nothing at stake and someone's not placing in the top 10, then, you know, we're not getting involved with that. Um, so I think it's, it's a kind of a cool approach of not being super invasive, you know, to the transgender po uh, population, but also trying to be fair and address the concerns of, you know, potential women that would be competing in the field. Um, I just know from my own perspective and, and other women runners that I've talked to, like all of us are all for it. I think it's at that point, if this isn't something that can gain traction and start to be more regular, in my opinion, we're prioritizing awards and achievements over mental health and human rights, which I think is wrong. Um, so again, that's my opinion. And I have been very understanding of others' opinions that are different from mine, but that's kind of my perspective. I think it's it's interesting how uh, competition sometimes can bring out <laughs> the worst in us, and it happens in in different ways. Uh, you bring up a great point. I mean, there's you know this this point of transition. Um, I mean, how do we, how do you qualify that? I mean, how do you what are these these things that we have to put in these metrics to be able to say you you took tenth or you took ninth, and 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 why is that so important? And I think about, you know, some of the people that I've known that have deliberately played down because winning was so important mm -hmm. in that moment. And, and I mean, who are you <laughs> if that's, that's what you're really going to do? And mostly what I want to come back to is I love the idea of just being inclusive and also struggle with how do we maintain 
also wanting to be competitive. You know, these, there's, there's just some inherent conflict in there and it's just about learning to look at it and resolve it, not turn them back uh, and turn our backs to it. Yeah. To, to echo that, it's, it's all about just being open and positive towards the solution instead of trying to shut things down because, um, at the end of the day, we just want everybody out there running. Just keep running. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> all we want. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and I hope that, you know, at some point, I would say that in this topic specifically, regardless of which position someone holds, my, my, uh, what I've seen is it it's a very passionate position. Yeah. Um, yes. so I agree with you. I wish that we could, you know, the two opposing perspectives could have a conversation and, and arrive at some kind of conclusion that people, that everyone's at least mostly happy with, but it, it, at times it doesn't feel like anybody's willing to hear the other person out. And that's not even something that's isolated to this specific uh, uh, scenario. I mean, yeah, that seems scenario. like our main problem uh, in society <laughs> yeah. right now is just uh, people need to sit down and have a coffee or beer with each other and, and talk about things. And we find out that we're 99% on the same page. Exactly. We probably want the same thing, and maybe we have a little bit of a different idea of what that looks like. But you know, compromise is great, and conversation is great. And I hope that we're getting to a point where that can, can be something that happens, and there is you know something on every topic, but you know, particularly this one, something that can be fair fair enough to both you know positions um, to just move forward. And you're right; it's it's sports; it's what we all love. Like at the end of the day, we're all probably trying to protect the sport that we love. So let's figure out how to do that in the most positive, inclusive way that invites the most people to take part in it. I have a question that's somewhat related to this that I'm just curious about going into the, the future. Uh, you've probably seen also, we've seen some ultra races where uh, the top female finisher uh, has finished in front of the top male finisher. Do you ever see a point where ultra is just a race for all genders? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think there's there's been times when when people su like suggested that. Um, I don't think so though. I think it will probably you know re remain men and women. It, it is interesting though because I've, gosh, I'm trying to remember which race it was. In fact, I think it might have been a world championships or something. But a woman did I think place in the top three or five or something and deserved prize money for overall. But because um, she was a female and not a male, I can't remember what the thing was. But it was basically like. It should, in that instance, she would have benefited if it was all just one race instead of gotcha. Yeah. Right. Um, it's interesting though. It's very cool. I actually did it when I was in grad school, did a research study and presented on this exact topic about how the longer the distance, the gender gap between performances of men and women does shrink. And in fact, um, at some point women start to outperform men, um, which is pretty cool to see. So I think, I think maybe one answer I could give to your question is in some ways, I think that's why this topic is, has been a little bit more like appropriate and accepted within ultra running, maybe versus, you know, like marathon or 10K or 5K uh, in terms of transgender, because I don't necessarily think there's that much of an advantage <laughs> in one way or the other. Now, uh, I do want to also point out that you have a master's in sports psychology. And uh, I would like to kind of make sure, or not kind of, I want to make sure that we, we talk about this from your educational perspective. I mean, what do you see as some of the uh, aspects of ultra running that's unique mentally to uh, other forms of competition? Yeah, and it's a good question. Um, not a lot of research has been done on this topic, which is, I hope that that will change as the sport, you know, it, it is growing and becoming more popular. 
one thing that immediately comes to mind is there's a there's an ultra race um you've probably heard of it because it's crazy um <laughs> in tennessee that's yeah. it's called Big's backyard it's so you yeah it's on the hour every hour you do a four i think it's 4.1 mile loop and then whenever you finish you can rest take a nap eat i mean you never have more than probably 15 minutes so it's not long but you have time to do whatever you want until the top of the next hour and then you do the loop again um it's not a set distance you go until everybody drops out and there's one person left um, right so the last two years a, a different woman has won so courtney dewalter won this year and last year uh, maggie guterell won so that to me is just you know complete mental and psychological fortitude. I mean, you're covering four miles in an hour. That's not, that's not crazy, um, right. but you're not sleeping. Um, you're doing it consistently. So there is something pretty crazy happening on the psychological and like mental endurance side of our sport right now that I hope starts to gain more attention. So when I did research this topic, there, there wasn't a lot to go off of. So that was all the preface. My answer was saying, I only can share what I think and what I've seen and there, I haven't done my own research. Um, but what I think is some of it probably is a little bit biological in terms of, you know, men and women being wired to suffer differently, you know, men are out there, <laughs> you, you know, strong and like, let's hunt and, you know, get food and kind of these aggressive, more short bursts of, of energy. Whereas women are, you know, made to be in child labor for 30 hours or 20 hours or however long it takes. Um, so I think there's some, some aspect of that. Um, there was, there is one study that I read that was pretty comprehensive, um, that was talking about how, uh, I can't remember what percentage, but men, this was in marathons. So it wasn't in ultras slowed down a lot more in a marathon than women. Like women tend to like start at a pace that they can maintain and then kind of finish around that. Whereas men would tend to slow down and run the second half of the race, like a pretty high percentage slower um, overall. And I think they took data from several hundred races. I can't remember how many. So I think that would also probably apply to an ultra of just, you know, not getting too ahead of themselves. Um, women kind of maybe starting slower and just playing the long game versus kind of getting excited and getting out too hard. So I'm sure that there's some biological things that come into play with that. You just described my my two experiences <laughs> at the marathon, by the way, <laughs> coming out. Hercules and, and finishing just crawling on my knees, just painful. So, um, I would love if, if, even if you, uh, don't have this from research, I know that you are a mental performance consultant, which I know that Nicholas and I can probably use a lot of, <laughs> what are Very some good. of the things, uh, what are the, some of the things mentally, uh, we can do on longer runs, uh, to keep our focus, to not uh, talk ourselves out of things. So I noticed oh, that one of the man. things that is difficult for me is I'll talk myself out of it. I'll be like, Oh, it, it's okay. Today's hard. You can, it's okay that you can slow down. I'm telling myself, giving myself excuses, uh, later in the run. What are the, some of the things that we can do to curb those thoughts and to keep us focused? Yeah. Yeah. If I had to kind of sum up, um, from a mental, like sports, like perspective, the challenges of running, whether it's a 10K, a marathon, an ultra marathon, it's it's controlling distractions. And distractions is a pretty broad term because by that I mean what you're just talking about, self-talk, uh, it's fatigue, it's um, your legs hurting, it's the weather, it's anything that's kind of distracting you from the goal that you kind of set out for that day. Um, one of the biggest things I work with all my clients on is understanding you can feel those emotions and feel those urges and feel those desires to stop or cut it short or slow down. 
but still not give in to them. So it's it's not about trying not to feel that way. I don't know how to tell anybody that. And you know, I, <laughs> I had the secret formula for never having doubt or negative thoughts, but it's not possible. And that's something that you're going to experience. So it's more learning that you can have those. And instead of then reacting and behaving based on that emotion, it's then turning to, you know, your values. So if it's like, well, yeah, I am tired and it does hurt, but I've committed to this, you know, I have this race in a month that I really want to do well in. So kind of acting more on your value set and kind of um, choosing your behaviors versus just reacting to emotions or feelings or thoughts. So when you describe that, it kind of reminds me the same training that uh, people give when you're trying to uh, learn how to do meditation. And Mm -hmm. it's the fact of, you know, when a, when a thought comes, it's not about keeping the thoughts away. It's the thought comes, you're supposed to recognize the thought and then let it go. Is that kind of the same technique that you use with your clients? Exactly. Yeah. And, and you make a good point because when it comes to mindfulness or meditation, people are very turned off of it because they think like, well, I'm not good at that. I, there's no way I can sit and not have thoughts. And it's like, well, that's the point. The point is that you are going to have thoughts, but you're going to be able to dismiss them. One of the best ways I heard someone describing this within the context of, um, of sport was she was talking about how you know, if I'm, I, I lift weights twice a week. So when I'm in my garage, you know, squatting, I'm not trying to get better at squatting. I'm trying to get better at running and my, having my legs hold up for longer on some of these hard runs. So same with, um, I do 10, 15 minutes of, I don't even call it meditation because that to me sets like too, too high of an <laughs> expectation of myself, but yeah, I sit and stretch and, and work on just dismissing thoughts that I have. And, um, the point of that is then when you're in the, the athletic realm or any realm really, but if we're talking about the athletic realm, the point is then you're getting better at dismissing those thoughts. Um, so it's not about not having them in the second. I mean, I used to think that if I started to have negative thoughts or if I started to acknowledge that I was tired, that my race was just over, you know, that was it. Um, but it's not, that's not the case. It's just all about what you choose to listen to. So to me, it's a little bit more empowering to think, well, I can still have those thoughts and acknowledge that this like really sucks in this moment or this is really hard right now, but still stay committed um, and just make my own decisions about how I'm going to react to it. Is correct me if I'm wrong, would that be something similar you could use when you're experiencing pain? Let's say you're experiencing knee pain or something uh, mid race and trying to get through that. Is, Is that a similar technique you can use to let that pain go? Of course. Yeah. So mindfulness has actually been one of the most productive um, like exercises or techniques for pain management, you know, in general, not even in just like sports or something, but if someone's actually injured or had a surgery or anything like that, it's, it's basically learning to coexist with something unpleasant, whether that's a negative thought or whether that's, yeah, my knee hurting. Coexist with something negative <laughs> that's present. That, uh, that is a great Great point to to take away. Uh, So first of all, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. It's been great talking with you. Uh, And before we wrap this up and let you go, I kind of want to look towards 2021. Uh, Hopefully you've got some hopes out there. Do you have any races that you uh, uh, hope you're going to be able to get out and join people with? Um, I think the only thing I'm currently registered for is, is Western States, uh, in June. Um, I think it's going to happen. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> so I'd like to race before then, but I haven't thought that far ahead, or at least I've kind of wanted to see how things turn out over, you know, the, the course of the next few months. But, um, if not, I'll find some, some way to get out and challenge myself, maybe try another FKT or, uh, something, some kind of project. 
And where can people find you to learn more about uh, OutRun, learn more about uh, your education that you help clients with, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so my personal Instagram is just at Addie Bracey. Um, our OutRun Instagram is just at OutRun. Um, and then my sports site consulting practice is called uh, Strive Mental Performance. And that's just online. I think just strivementalperformance.com. Nice. Well, we will put all of those in the show notes. So people, if you're listening, you want to find out, you can just scroll down and click those to find those. Uh, can't thank you enough. Uh, we will not be running the Western States run 100, but maybe we can road trip down to cheer you on at the finish. Yeah. Make sure you get there for the golden hour. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. All right, everybody. We have Addie for a bonus, very, very important uh, running specific topic, beer. As we, we call, like to call it vitamin B. Yes. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, one of my, uh, Courtney Dualter is an awesome ultra runner, and she talks about this thing that you experience at the end of a run or, or the end of a race called beer gravity, where you start getting <laughs> closer and closer to a beer. So, um, oh, no, okay. I, a big, big beer drinker. I know Denver's pretty hopping with different local breweries. So, um, I think you asked my favorite. I'm a big IPA fan. I don't. Oh, you are just talking to us. We're becoming fast bigger, friends. bigger fans. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. One of my favorites, I think, is out of Portland. Ecliptic. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, that's just down the street from me. Oh literally, man, their Starburst down, IPA. So yeah. good. Yeah, literally down the street from Nicholas. Yeah, I had oh, their Starburst yeah. uh, not too long ago. As a matter of fact, oh, uh, it's one of my favorite IPAs. Well, all the more reason for you to get out of here. We'll have to go to their um, brew pub specifically and uh, have some of their fantastic beer. Yeah. If, if you would like to join, you could get uh, six of your friends. We uh, are making an OC, uh, Old Crazy Runners beer run, which is like a virtual team relay. And you, you virtually run to all of the best breweries in Oregon. Oh, no way. Yeah. Um, and, and the medal is a beer can. That's awesome. That's cool. Yeah. yeah I, little known fact. Uh, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't share this, but in college, I was the undefeated beer mile champion for many years in a row. Um, so maybe I should go back to my roots and start. Oh, well, doing that, that is, again. might be the best accolade ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad talks about that being one of the things he's most proud of me. Of. That was <laughs> God love parents. He's a good yeah. dad. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for letting us uh, bring that back in. It was so important that we get to our favorite topic. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have a good day. Uh, if you're going for a run, I hope it's a good run and a good beer after. Thank you. I appreciate that. So Addie was way too qualified to be on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it is so true. We, we touched on it just a little bit um, in the introduction. Yeah. Uh, but when we looked into all of the things that she has done, it was an exhaustive list. And we really do and have had not too hard of a time finding at least two or three really obvious nuggets from our other guests, but her, they were all nuggets. Well, And then we take, so just the breadth and depth of the running, but then the fact that she's making the world a better place by creating outrun and being part of the runner's Alliance and doing all of these things to make the world a better place um, really makes me feel a little bit bad about myself. Yeah. All we're concerned <laughs> about it is whether uh, your John G is going to keep you dry when yeah. you run today. So uh, super cool. Definitely check out all of the links. Uh, go follow OutRun on uh, Instagram and, you know, work with your races to make sure that uh, this uh, beautiful running community keeps growing and keeps attracting uh, all parts of society and um, 
we can keep getting our asses kicked by uh, people faster than us in the races from all parts of the community. Yeah, that's that's a, that's a good thing. And check out her page, her uh, specific training page. She is yeah. a um, qualified and very active trainer, and I'm sure she's going to give you way better advice about how to compete <laughs> than you're going to get through the remainder of this episode. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Old Crazy Runners. Take a moment to rate and review the podcast and always share it with your friends so they can join in with all of us for these great episodes. And be sure to go by Strava and join the Old Crazy Runners podcast, Strava Run Club, because that's where all us old crazies hang out. It's where we encourage each other to keep getting out there, to keep putting in the miles. And keep being old crazy runners. <laughs>